Hi everyone! Thank you for joining us! This is... Are these books drunk? Or are they sober? Yes. Or are they thirsty? <laughs> what is sober? <laughs> what is drunk? I'm Brandy. <laughs> I'm Emma. And I'm Mariana. This is your book up with the twist, and we are your happy hour girlfriends. Yeah! This month, we're reading a novel that's eye-opening and driven by imagination. The Midnight Library by the philosophical Matt Haig. This book has got me thinking, and it completely enwraps me as soon as I pick it up from where we left off. Yeah. As for last week, we got to talking about deep-rooted topics, including our personal experiences with depression. If our pets are captives, our dads and their impact on our individual lives, and what success means to each of us. I mean, anything else? (laughs) Matt, you're really having us contemplating our choices and learning, to say the (laughs) least. By the way, my intros are getting to be shorter because I don't want to delay the meat or tofu of our combo. So, Thea Emma, can you please lead us into our hydration station, a la Peloton? Hydration (laughs) station. That's an alley love quote. Oh, this is a Peloton thing? Uh, Yes. (laughs) Well, I like it. Our bartender today has found a drink with the most relevant and absurd name I have ever encountered for a cocktail pairing thus far. Our cocktail pairing for today is called Schrodinger's Cat. That's right. That is actually the name of the cocktail. We did not create this. We found a cocktail that has this name. Would be very curious as to why. Anyway, there will be more to come on this in our discussion. But if you read this week's chapters, I think you'll understand this immediately. Is this drink strong Hmm. or is it weak Mm. or Mm. can it be both? We're really driving this one home. (laughs) But I don't think you'll be sipping on this, Mariana. So what mocktail are you enjoying today? Or am I? Oh, oh, oh. (laughs) she's strong. No judgment here. I'm kidding. I'm drinking peaches and cream. Wasn't there a song about peaches and cream? Oh, yeah. Peaches and cream. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah! Leave it at that. All right. Let's well, listeners, that. if you want Love this it. mocktail recipe, go to our Insta page at Are These Books Drunk, and I'll see you there. Here to share the delicious recipe for this wacky cocktail is our even wackier bartender, Ricardo. Oh, Ricardo. Ricardo. Oh, yeah. Oh. 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 Yeah. <laughs> Ciao, ladies. Welcome to the bar. Ciao. Hola. How are you? Great. So good. How are you? Good. Either good or bad. I don't know. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) Or both. Or both. Mm -hmm. So, so in this same tone, we're going to make a very appropriate cocktail today. This Schrodinger cat. And it's either dead or alive. (laughs) (laughs) It's based on the observer. So, unless you open the box, we don't know. Right. The same way, mm-hmm. unless you drink this cocktail, we don't know if you like it or not. So make You'll it have no idea. <laughs> so we better try. Exactly. So for this cocktail, we're going to need uh, uh, honey syrup. I'm going to just give you a quick reminder how to make honey syrup. You're going to want to use a 3 to 1 ratio for your honey syrup, differently from your regular uh, simple syrup that is usually 1 to 1 ratio. Mm-hmm. So it's three parts honey and one part hot water, and you dissolve the honey uh, until you have like a still a thick and uh, thick consistency but it's liquid uh-huh. okay so the other ingredients are gonna be a peach that we're gonna use both for garnish and as an ingredient of the cocktail Yum. and then we're gonna go for the spirits and the spirits are both mezcal and bourbon and sorry Mario. I know yeah. thanks <laughs> So we have uh, half of an ounce of mezcal, an ounce and a mm. half of bourbon, uh, one dash of Angostura bitter, half of an ounce of Lille Blanc, or if you don't have a Lille Blanc, I am fine even with a dry vermouth. 
if okay. you are like a martini That's person and oh. you have a vermouth in the house, as long as mm. it's a dry vermouth, you can use it. Mm. And three quarter of an ounce of uh, fresh squeezed lemon juice. So mm. first thing, we put uh, the lemon juice and the honey syrup with the peach at the bottom of the cocktail shaker and we muddle the peach. Uh, I did with two big slices. I found that the biggest, the chunkiest, the easiest uh, is to muddle the peach. Mm. Then we put together the other ingredients with the ice, we shake, and because we have the peach, I double strain the glass in a cheap, uh, in, a, in a chill, not in a cheap, in a chill, <laughs> in a chilled glass. So I double strain it just because I both don't like small crystals of ice and I don't like the little pieces of the fruit when I drink yeah, the cocktail, yeah. unless it's a mojito and then it's another story. But mm-hmm. because it's a Schrodinger cat, we double strain it and uh, it's up. So another thing, when we have up cocktail, let's put our glass in the fridge a few minutes Makes before. Makes such a big difference, so yeah. So it's easier and uh, it's way better. Like even the flavor, you notice that it's gonna be different if it's on a chill glass or not a chill glass. Oh, wow, yeah. okay. And alla vostra salute, or that alla mia amazing. salute, uh, it depends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> depends how you look Thank at it. You. Sure. Thank, Thank you. Or damn you. Exactly. Yeah. Both. We'll see how I feel later. <laughs> Ciao, ladies. Bye, Ricardo. Bye. Gracias. All right, women. Cheers. Salute. I really like this. I do too. I never put peach in a drink. That's mm, tasty. Me either. It's yummy and it's so kind of complex. Mm-hmm. Like it feels like, you know, metaphysical or oh, whatever. There's a lot it feels, going on. Yeah. <laughs> How's your peaches and cream? Delicious. It looks so good. Smoothie, so good. It looks really good. And I'm not a huge peach fan, but I'm oh. sick. I'm, I'm telling you, this is this hit the spot. I'm also not a huge peach fan, but I do find what? it in the summer. It's nice. Mm-hmm. Well, that's when they're in season. Mm. Right. But like, you know, like a grilled peach salad Ooh. with like some brie or Ooh. something. Like, mm, mm, I'm about that. Oh, yeah. It slaps for you. What? As the millennials what? are saying. Wait, What? They're saying it slaps Wait, for you? Wait, are you telling me neither of you have heard that expression? It slaps? It slaps? Like I'm claps, only a couple like years slaps? younger than you. You've never heard this? This is what all the young kids are saying. Like, this slaps. Oh, you're making me feel really old are right now. Are you sure they're not the just trying to convince older people that they're saying that so that we are dummies and start saying, saying it? Or are they really saying <laughs> That it? would be very intricate and also hilarious. <laughs> no, I hear this all the time. Like, really? it's fire or it slaps. I hear fire. That I've heard. Okay, I haven't well, heard Well, now either. get on board with this one. Fuck. Mariana. I don't know. I've been baking a baby, I guess. <laughs> Sorry. Yikes. All right. Well, slap it away, Brandy. On that note, this week, Nora and Hugo taught quantum mechanics. He explains that the many worlds theory is real, that universes exist over other universes simultaneously, and that people like him and her can slide through them from one to the next. And he knows of others like them, too, all in their 30s, 40s, and 50s, all with a deep desire to have done things differently. We see Nora cycle through many, (laughs) many lives, even bumping into Hugo a few more times along the way. And as our chapters come to an end, she comes to the conclusion that sliding through lives endlessly may not be for her, that the fun is not in jumping from life to life as Hugo does, but in finding a place to land. So Hugo references exactly something we were talking about at the end of last week's episode, which was, um, you know, the fact that we, we were talking about that suicide maybe seems like something that would affect younger people. But this week he says mm. most of us sliders mm. are in our 30s, 40s and 50s. Right. But I realized something really curious and I wondered if you ladies picked up on it, too. Despite the fact that Hugo claims there are other sliders, Nora's only ever met him. And she's she's encountered him several times mm. in several of her lives, and yet no other sliders. 
Did that question mark pop up for you ladies of why that would be? No, except I get the sense that she also hasn't spent enough time in most of those lives to have met other ones. But it sounds like she's lived in a lot of them at this point. Yeah, but I don't know how long she's spent in those. Mm -hmm. Like the ones we get to witness, it seems like she gets in there, she touches on something, and then she gets right out. But she met Hugo after not even a day in the other life, right? The the life where she originally meets him, she meets him like immediately. And within a day, he knows she's a slider. I'm also thinking that he's a little bit more curious than she is. Like, it just Mm. seems to me that he was very much observing her before he approached her. And he was wanting to know more about her. While she's in all these alternate lives, it seems that she is kind of having to defend herself and figuring out why she's there, where her next move is, where she lives. So it's constantly like she's the one trying to figure herself out, not being as curious about the others around her. It made me wonder whether Hugo is a figment of her imagination as Miss Elm is. And it made me wonder if this whole thing is happening in her mind and she's she is just in a coma after having tried to commit suicide or something. Huh. That's what it that would be that's what I wondered. Yeah. Which is I know something we had like lightly touched on before. But this week when I realized she's not encountering any other sliders and he's claiming there are many. Where are these other people? A thought that backed up that idea for me that Hugo might just be a, a figment of her imagination is the fact that she has this huge realization this week that she doesn't want to jump from life to life the way he does forever. She wants to find a place to land. And so in that way, he becomes a really important figure in causing her to realize that she needs to choose a life. She can't just keep jumping from life to life because she's watching him do that. And in seeing him do it, she realizes she doesn't want it. Yeah, he kind of instigated that. You know what I just thought of when you said that? It reminded me of the Wizard of Oz. When Dorothy creates the whole, all of those characters Mm. for her to then come to. And it was so real for her. Mm-hmm. And it came back to her wanting to be home and wanting to be with her family. Right. Well, that totally goes along with the idea that the, your imagination is so powerful. And the more that you use your imagination, the more possibilities there are for all these infinite amount of lives. Mm, so if there's right. a block or if you stunt that imagination, you won't be able to experience all this. So it, it could be just that, the figment of her imagination, the more it it opens up the more that she's able to see all the possibilities that she does have. It could also just be a survival mechanism or something that her brain is producing to keep her afloat from dying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This may be going way too deep, but I also realized as we got Mrs. Elm's full name this week, mm-hmm. Louise Isabel, Isabel Elm, her right. initials are lie. Oh, I did not clock that. So I feel like uh-huh. that, again, that might be looking a little too deep into well, things. Interesting. But I think the power of names, you know, if, oh, yeah. if that goes along with what we're saying, that it's all right. a lie. It's all made up. What is real? What is not real? Is the cat dead? Is the cat alive? <laughs> Take yeah. a sip of your Schrodinger's cat, Brandy. Peaches and Peaches cream. Peaches and cream. Mm. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. My pleasure. (laughs) Well, and we sort of knew already that this was all happening in Nora's mind because we got that glimpse of the library, the system starting to shut down Mm -hmm. when she's having doubts. So we kind of, yeah, like we definitely, I feel like, have that as. Right. As a base. first step. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Mm -hmm. As a base. Yeah. As the root. Oh. Oh, my God. (laughs) I'm just disappointed that she was disappointed in the sex that she had with Hugo. <laughs> if this was in her mind, I thought that would have been like a really, I don't know. She would have enjoyed it a little bit more. Yeah, you would hope. Maybe that was too early on. Maybe they need to get it on again now that she's had all these other lives and opened up her mind more. And maybe it'll be, maybe it'll be awesome. Sexual yes. fantasy, a peaches and cream. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Going off of that, though, Mariana, there was that really great um, 
Albert Camus quote that comes to Nora after she has sex with Hugo, which was, I may not have been sure about what really did interest me, but I was absolutely (laughs) sure about what didn't. Mm -hmm. And it does seem like this week in living all of these lives... She's sort of figuring out what she does want by mm-hmm. figuring by crossing these things off of her list and figuring out what she doesn't want. Totally. Um, but I found a, another really interesting Camus quote that isn't mentioned in the book. And I think this comes from the book he won the Nobel Prize for. Mm. But the quote is, there is but one truly serious philosophical problem, and that is suicide. He grappled continuously with the absurdity of life and with our absurd obsession to assign a meaning to life. And he concluded that it makes no sense to commit suicide over a lack of meaning in life since there will be no meaning in death either. Hmm. He argues that Sisyphus is happy, endlessly rolling his boulder up the hill and that we should be too, presumably without worrying about whether or not we'll ever get to the top. Hmm. The climb, as we've said many times on this podcast, is the journey. But those are easy words to just like read and disregard. Nora, to Mrs. Elm's point, is learning it by living it. Mm-hmm. She's learning that the 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 journey of life is simply in the climb of it. It's not in getting anywhere necessarily. I like that. I do too. I was just thinking too how many references we're getting to poets mm-hmm. and philosophers mm-hmm. and scientists. I mean, I really you really yeah. could go on a in a black, yeah. in a deep, deep rabbit you hole, really studying all of the people that this author is I referencing mentioned. for us mm-hmm. and trying to understand. Like, whenever I get that, I always try to think, where is the author pulling this story from? Mm-hmm. You know, what interests, yeah. in this case, what interests him and his life? What has he read that maybe inspired this story? And then right. I want to go and research and study all of that, all of those writers and all of those philosophers. Right. I mean, I say that, but I did try to, I did try to learn a lot about quantum physics and oh my wave God. function and string theory. And my brain at some point was like, "All right, we got to put this, this to rest for a second. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Same. <laughs> I have a random question. Why do you think Ryan Bailey was the actor? That she was paired up with in one of her lives. Do you? Do either of you know who that is? No, is that a real person? I didn't know that was a real person. Yeah, well, I IMDb'd him. He has credits, but I had never uh-huh. heard of him before. Shit. So I was. Did he do a movie called The Last Chance Saloon? He did do a film called Feed the Fish. <laughs> oh. No, no, the other one wasn't a real thing. But I just thought that. I mean, that also could completely be a. Maybe it was supposed to be fictional, but there is actually an actor named Someone, Ryan right, Bailey, Bailey, and that was just right. happenstance. Mm. But I just right. thought that was really random. Like, why Why would you pick this guy? I do think that is an interesting thing, though, that's happening in this story. These sort of, like, little recurring elements that keep popping up throughout her different lives. It kind of feels like there are echoes of live, of elements of some of her lives in other lives or something. Yeah. In past chapters, we've seen that National Geographic magazine pop up. There's this text from Izzy that's, you know, she keeps getting a similar text, different pictures of whales, but always a picture of a whale, it seems like. Ryan Bailey crops up constantly Mm -hmm. in different ways. Mm -hmm. Um, And then this week she saw String Theory when she's in the life with Dylan. Mm -hmm. Um, And she has this fire poem that's a different version of a fire poem she wrote in a different mm-hmm. life and it just kind of kept reminding me of like chords in music or something mm. or there's definitely a quote early on in the book where she says that there's a saying in music that that like music can't be wrong or there's no wrong notes in a mm-hmm. song I see where you're going with that yeah I just think it's interesting that like many notes make up a chord and kind of vibrate and echo throughout space if you're playing real instruments that, mm-hmm. you know, it, like echoes. And her lives feel to me like a piece of music with these little mini reprisals uh-huh. of notes and pieces that are getting, you know, sort of recycled or cycling through all of them one way or another. Another thing that I found really interesting was, and I don't know if you guys, if the, if you clocked this or if this is something that you also thought about, in each of her lives, not the not the many lives of Nora Seeds, but prior to that, <laughs> when she was going to the selection of lives, 
in every single life, she was still alive while one of her close family members mm. or friends died uh-huh. in each of those lives. So for me, it seemed like in choosing a life that wasn't her root life, she was sacrificing the well-being of someone who was close to her without knowing. Mm. Though in her root life, she had just lost her mom. True. But she had lost her mom again in the other one. Right. And and we later find out that she does acknowledge the fact, and this is a quote, it seems impossible to live without hurting people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we had brought up in one of the episodes, I think, Brandy, you did, when we were talking about if you would want to write a letter to someone in the past, that you found it to be kind of selfish. And I feel uh-huh. like this is kind of her choosing another life or an alternate life in a way she's being selfish. Mm. And that's what Matt is kind of showing us, that if you choose this other life, you don't know how that's going to affect others that are in that particular life right. at that time. Right. And throw their whole course off, off. track, maybe. Well, I did want to ask you to. Oh. <laughs> what are some other versions of lives that you wish you could live? I, you know, recently oh I was somewhere, uh, was at a car dealership <laughs> and the car salesman was like fascinated by the fact that I was an actor, which I never really liked talking about. Like mm. I always try to come up with some other answer for like, what do you do? But whatever, yeah. it came out. So then he was asking all the questions. And so then later we, we were like waiting in the space and there was this other older woman in Bay Ridge who was also just waiting around. So the car salesman was like, hey, this woman's an actress. And he opened that door. And then all of a sudden, the woman was like, can you tell me how to be a movie extra? She was like, I'm getting up there and I want to cross that off my bucket list before I go. And then some other woman heard that and she came up and she was like, oh, yeah, yeah. She's like, me too. I really want to be an extra in movies. Like, how can I do that? And so then I started thinking about the book. And then I wanted to also ask, do you have items on a bucket list that you also want to cross off? Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I just have so many. I know. Um, I definitely, especially after this pandemic, have realized that I need to travel so much more. Mm -hmm. I want to play with elephants and give them mud baths. I've never done that before. I've always wanted to. I cannot die before I get a chance to do that. I want to write a book. There are so many scripts I want to write. I want to adopt all the dogs. (laughs) I want to go whitewater rafting, which I've never done. Oh, I would be so scared of doing that. Good for you. I want to go to that cave in Italy where you have to like lay down on the boat to get in it. You know what I'm talking about? No, but that no. sounds cool. I want to see an active volcano. Oh. I want to play a role that's a complete physical transformation. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I want to visit outer space, even if it is with Jeff fucking No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Jason won't let me go with anybody but Elon Musk. But oh. either way, I just want to go to space. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great list. I know. That's a fantastic (laughs) list. Mine is definitely more superficial and more of a wish list because I don't think a lot of things will actually happen. But why not? I'm just going to verbalize them. No, listen, 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 listen. Like Nora, I want to feel free through disobedience and adventure. Have the ability to go anywhere I want, wherever I want, and do whatever I want without social constraints or those that I put on myself. Hmm. For example, I would like to have that vineyard in Tuscany. <laughs> oh yeah. I would want a film of mine to be featured at Con, mm. perform with the Netherlands Dance Theater. So see, I don't know if I could oh. go back in time to do that. Play Persephone's in Hades Town on Broadway. <gasps> oh. oh wow. Attend the next Oscar's red carpet and then win the Oscar for leading actress. Hell yeah. Work on a sitcom for five seasons, then Ooh. portray a polar opposite character for a new streaming drama on Netflix or Hulu. Hmm. Followed by a long stint on a soap opera. Oh. On the side, I would work as one of the anchors for Good Morning America and fill in for Kelly Ripa on live whenever she's on vacation because she tends to go on vacation quite a bit. 
Oh, okay. You are going to be a busy lady. <laughs> On top of all of this, she's got to be a real housewife of New York at some I point. I didn't even think about that one. <laughs> <laughs> True. And so I would have a house in Manhattan Beach, California, with my parents living down the road so they could help with me. They could help my baby girl and Waffles. Aww. Keep our apartment in NYC, two vacation homes in Mykonos and Barcelona. Yes. Oh, shit. And let us not forget a vacation home in Peter Island where Andrew and I had our honeymoon. But seriously, though, I would want to also be a public speaker speaking to young girls and women, aiding them in their fight against eating disorders and lack of self-respect. Oh, that's great. And I'm going to end with all good things are wild and free, which is a quote from this book. (gasps) Yeah. Ooh, that's hard to follow. Well, I only gave two examples for other versions of lives that I want. The first thing I really want to do is I want to travel. Okay, this is like a, I'm not going to say that I want to do because this is an alternate life. This is not, this has nothing to do with my life now. Right, right, right. Right. But in an alternate life, I would have traveled the world as a single woman with like Mm -hmm. nothing holding me back, just traveling by backpack and going everywhere. Yeah. For at least a year. Yeah. Oh. And in an alternate life, I would be a really kick-ass surfer in Hawaii. Ooh. <laughs> and I've never surfed, and it looks terrifying, but I've become fascinated with them. Yeah. Um, and for some of my bucket list items, I've already said this, but I really want to run a marathon. Yes. Oh, right. This may not feel very bucket list, but I, I do. I want to have a baby. Like, I want to be a mom. Oh. I want a road trip across America in an RV. I want to lead yoga retreats in really exotic places. Yeah. I want to study at an ashram in India. Oh. I want to win a Tony, an Oscar, and an Emmy. <laughs> yes. Ooh. The Grammy I don't really care about. So like EGOT, like I don't really care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to host SNL. Right. Oh. That was a fun little um, I know. adventure just answering I your know. question. Oh, good. While we're talking about sort of alternate lives that we could have had, mm. the many worlds theory suggests that the possibilities literally are infinite and limitless. Yes. So I want to play a very silly little game called The Top 15 Lives We Didn't See Nora Seeds Live. Yes. It's going to be a rapid fire top 15 countdown of very silly lives Nora hasn't lived in the book, but probably has lived somewhere in the multiverse. Okay. I'm going to start us off with number 15. You have to take a sip after each answer that you give. Okay. Oh, what's the Everybody order? Ready? So you go and then who? I'll go, then you go, then Mariana goes. Okay. Okay. Cool. All right. Okay. Here we go. You ready? Nervous. <laughs> All right, number 15, the one where she's living the life of the woman in the Cialis commercial. (laughs) Oh, it's me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I liked that one. The one where she married Ryan Bailey and had triplets, and those triplets starred on even Fuller House and became child star sensations. (gasps) Oh, drink. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Okay, number 13, the one where she's the most sought-after hairstylist in Washington Heights, and she occasionally breaks out in song to her demanding clientele. (laughs) Oh, my God, I love that so much. Okay, number 12, the one where she works at String Theory, but it's actually a shop for (laughs) G-String. Number 11, the one where she was crowd surfing at one of her concerts in Lisbon and they dropped her and she fell on her head and died. Oh, (laughs) sorry. Oh, God. Okay, number 10, the one life where she meets Prince Charles while living in London as an on-location field reporter. They fall deeply in love. She therefore becomes his second wife and by default next for the throne. Be her. Oh, okay. <laughs> Drink. Number nine, the one where she gets her own hit TV show after making a series of viral TikTok videos trolling Ryan Bailey and his deep and significant expressions. Oh, yeah. Number eight, the one where she was interviewed on a podcast for her New York Times bestselling book called Brain Waves and loved it so much that she started her own podcast called The Midnight Library, colon, Are These Books Dead or Alive? Oh, shit. Oh, shit. And brought her three scientist girlfriends on as guest hosts to talk about quantum physics and Schrodinger. Was, would that be us? Was that us? Uh Yes. Okay, number eight. Seven. 
seven. Okay, the one where she wins Nobel Peace Prize, the youngest ever to do so for her work with animals, specifically dogs and their psyche. Oh. Number six, the one where she gets lost in the icy desert of Svalbard and ends up taking refuge inside a polar bear corpse and living out the harrowing journey of Leonardo DiCaprio's character in The Revenant. Yes. <laughs> Number five, the one where she was a world champion surfer by day and a tarot card reader by night. Ooh. Oh my God. Okay, Drink. number four, the one where she finds herself working at a surf shop on the coast of Tortola, selling pina coladas during her time off, married to a Matthew McConaughey look-alike with a oh. whale shark named Penny as her bestie. <laughs> I, I love the specificity of that I so know. much. <laughs> All right, number three, the one where she's a snail. She's just a snail. Oh, yes. Right. <laughs> Number two, the one where she was a judge for Olympic swimming in Colombia, but she was so upset she wasn't swimming herself, so she gave fake scores and was charged with fraud and arrested oh, and shit. became the first woman to break out of prison. Holy Infamous. shit. I love it. <laughs> wow. Bring us home, oh, Mariana. fuck. And number one. The one where she is the new lead singer for Queen and her debut with the band will be during their endless residency at Planning Hollywood in Las Vegas. She has an on again, off again affair with Justin Timberlake and Jessica Biel. Oh my oh, God! Okay. Yeah. All right, I'll I'll drink to I'll that. I'll drink ladies. to that. <laughs> I'm <Sunday>. drunk. <laughs> Thank you for playing this round of the top 15 lives we didn't see Nora Seeds live. Oh, this that was, was so fantastic. Oh. We, need to, we need to keep oh. doing this there game. Was some, there were some good ones I know. in there. I'm, I'm impressed. <laughs> but I like that she came back as a snail in one life, too. I know, and just a snail. Hey, if all of the possibilities are possible, then she's got to come back as a snail. Actually, that was a question that I had. She always comes back as a she and as a human. Why was she never... Like, if all the possibilities are endless... Why wasn't she ever a different gender hmm. or an animal? Too complicated. Yeah, I don't know. That's I. I wondered if he was if Matt Haig was going to explore the possibility of her as sort of different beings and different entities. Yeah, yeah. Because who knows? Maybe she's trans. Maybe if she came right. back as a man, she'd be totally cool with right. like keeping on, keeping on. Oh, I don't know. That's a good. That's That'd a good question. A good Maybe it's still going there. Yeah, we don't know. Maybe she's only picked Nora lives, and you know she hasn't explored the endless possibilities. She hasn't explored the other ones. Yeah. Mm. It also does seem like Mrs. Elm isn't showing her all of the books because I think early on Mrs. Elm does say that only the lives where she doesn't die are available to her because if she went into a life and she died she wouldn't be able to come back to the midnight library so it seems like mrs elm has cherry picked which which green books to show her that can help her get back to her root life which is what i'm assuming the end game is Hmm. and i i was also wondering about this concept of when we see her taking the dare to swim down the freezing cold river yes it seemed she committed to something and she mrs l made a point to say that you committed to something and survived Mm -hmm. so it seems that committing to something was actually the hardest part and maybe that is like another big part of her psyche is that she just has a really hard time committing to things right or at least to things that she actually cares about because mariana you've you know said in the last episode that it's pretty clear that she's doing things for other others. people's sake. Mm-hmm. Right. Living the dreams out for others. Mm-hmm. I thought that that was a really remarkable event because something happens that we've never seen before. It seems like she goes somewhere without ever leaving the library. Like it seems like she has this True. memory and then all right, of a sudden. Right, while she's there. Yeah, the library around her shifts and yeah. she's like watching herself in this moment, which mm-hmm. has never happened before. Well, is that because it is a memory? So she's going to the past as opposed to actually living something out in living the present some future. or future. Yeah. That's interesting. Mm. My thought about that moment was that it's it's such a pressure-filled moment. It, 
It seems like she thinks she's fucked up and she's stranded in the middle of this river, right? Because the chapter is called Equidistant. So she's clearly as close to the bank she just left as she is to the bank that's ahead of her. But it seems like, and correct me if I'm wrong, she swims for the opposite bank, right? Like she makes it to the other side. Mm -hmm. She doesn't give up and go back, which... I don't know. Maybe that's the thing that's kept her stuck this whole time is this inability to make a decision. Mm -hmm. All of the decisions seem like good decisions, which leaves her indecisive. But in this moment, she made a decision. Yeah, she committed. She committed. And it wasn't to doing what her brother was probably screaming for her to do, which was to go back. She was like, fuck that. I'm going to prove myself. And I'm going to go to that opposite bank. There's also something about these realizations that she's now starting to make. There's this quote that I wanted to read to you, ladies. And it has to do a lot with her accepting herself, which is something we touched upon Mm. last week. Mm -hmm. It was as though she had reached some state of acceptance about life. That if there was a bad experience, there wouldn't only be bad experiences. But she realized that she hadn't tried to end her life because she was miserable. Because she had managed to convince herself that there was no way out of her misery. So now she's starting to see that light at the end of the tunnel. She's Mm. accepting where her life is, but knows that not everything will be bad, that she's not in despair anymore. Yes, there will be fear, but there's a difference between fear and despair. Right. So do you both think that she's going to... Okay, I'm just going to ask it. How do you think it's going to end? It occurred to me for the first time... I have a long answer to this question. I'm sorry. Mm. It occurred to me for the first time this week that there are a lot of different things going on with string theory in this book. Mm -hmm. He sort of, you know, he's using the scientific concept of string theory in the setting up of her multiverse that she's exploring. String theory is, of course, the name of the musical shop where she worked. But she also played the piano when she was a kid, which is made up of strings that obviously, like, vibrate and produce sound and all this stuff. And early on in the book, um, there's mention made that in her apartment... She has an electric piano. She doesn't have a real piano. And I thought that was a really interesting sort of metaphor for her life Mm. because, you know, electric piano is something that just produces a mechanical sound. It doesn't have strings. And I realized, you know, in the life where she gets to explore music that we've seen so far, it's all about the fame. It's about the ending Mm -hmm. You know, which is kind of what Mrs. Elm keeps chiding her for. She keeps looking for endpoints, not not what she actually wants. Mm-hmm. And so I do wonder if she's going to sort of wake up and finally explore a life where she just pursues music. It's not about the fame. It's not about continuing with her brother in the labyrinth right. to try to make him happy. It's just about her writing her music and pursuing a life of music with a real fucking piano that has real fucking chords mm. and makes real that fucking vibrates. sound. That vibrates. Mm. Yeah, she's lacking vibration. Yeah. Ah. I don't know. I feel like there's some connection there. That also could be why she chooses a Bridge Over Troubled Water by Simon and Garfunkel at that concert as oh. her song. To sing out of any other song that she could have chose. That's interesting. Which is a beautiful song that just like really is of the essence of being able to get to the other side. But it's about the bridge. It's about the journey eventually getting there. But actually Mm. everything else is happening underneath her. Yeah. Until you said that just now, it also hadn't really occurred to me how much water imagery there There is. is There's the pools that she swim in. There's Mm -hmm. the whales and, you know, the ocean. There's the river she almost drowns in. Like, there is so much just water. Yeah, which is powerful. Water is super powerful and strong. And I think we underestimate the power of that. I love how our conversations really go so deep into us thinking and contemplating everything that's happening in this book. So I think that going back to what Hugo was trying to express to Nora about what all these different lives mean and how our brain functions, I think what he was saying was kind of BS. 
<laughs> because oh. he states that to be a human was to continually dumb the world into an understandable story that keeps things simple. He continues mm-hmm. his theory by saying that minds can't see what they can't handle. And then that immediately made me think of how often I've heard others say that one is only challenged with what they can take. Are you ladies of the same mindset? We are only confronted with situations that we are totally capable of handling. Well, I've heard that quote before too. And sadly, to answer your question, no, I wish that were true. But I've seen firsthand too many examples of people being confronted with the most incredibly difficult circumstances that were inexplicably devastating. Mm -hmm. And I've always said that everything happens for a reason. And I do believe that. But I was challenged on that belief by two friends at the same time, one of whom had lost her brother and the other had gone through the death of her ex-lover who took his own life. And they did not like my sentiment behind everything happens for a reason. And I completely understand that. But along the lines of your question and being asked if we're only confronted with situations that we are capable of handling – I do think that even in the moment of an extreme tragedy or loss or challenge, whatever that may be, Mm. while it may not seem that we can handle it in the moment, I've seen light come out the other side and something beautiful grow out of it. And I'm in no way justifying those losses or saying that they happened for a reason or that this beautiful thing came out of them because of the loss and so the loss needed to happen, yada, yada. But... I think the beauty in the question is, no, I think very often people are faced with situations that are so crippling, they think they'll never recover. Mm. But in most cases, I think they do. Mm. And it most likely will change who they are. And then it inevitably has to. But to find the resilience and to channel that grief into something else, I think is one of our biggest teachers that we have in life. Very well said. That's what I think. This is a really complicated question (laughs) for me. Because on the one hand, I agree with you. Humans are an incredibly resilient species and can and do overcome a lot. We see it every day. On the other hand, like, it's hard for me not to see that, like, people kill themselves all the time over situations that they literally cannot handle anymore. Yeah. Children are starving yeah. to death. That's a challenge that yeah. they can't handle. They're going to die. They cannot get food. Mm. Um, so, I mean, I like to think that I could handle anything that comes my way. But the truth is that I've been privileged enough not to really have to face anything that's all that hard. Mm. It kind of actually reminds me of what you said, Emma, that Ricardo said about reincarnation and religion, that it's a story that we tell ourselves to comfort ourselves. Mm. And in my reading this week, my very light reading about what Camus thinks about things, he thinks it's absurd for us to try to assign meaning. And I read this great quote that I don't have, but the the sort of um, sentiment of it was, why would the universe care enough or even be capable of worrying about what it does and doesn't task us with mm. and what we can or cannot handle? The universe literally doesn't give a shit. Hmm. And I, that's why I think, Mariana, that, you, you know, the, the quote that you brought up and the quote that you brought up also, Emma, which was everything happening for a reason. I think those things are kind of an example of us trying to, quote unquote, dumb the world down to make it feel more safe for ourselves. But I'll say the same thing I said about reincarnation, which is like, so like Mm -hmm. if that's what we have to tell ourselves to get through it. Sure. Like, great. I don't think the universe is going to come and smack us on the wrist and be like, no, like Mm. if that's what gets us through, then who cares? So do you not believe that everything happens for a reason? Absolutely not. Mm. Because there are so many senseless things that happen. What's the reason? Four million people have died from COVID. For what? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe we'll find out on the other side. But mm. yeah, from God. this vantage point, it doesn't seem like I can justify that to four million families in any way. Right. Other than we can't all agree to wear masks and get vaccinated. Yeah. Well, that's why I say that when you first asked me, like, what my sense, where my mindset was, I said I was on the fence because in the past, I, I was a 
full believer that we are only thrown into situations that we can overcome. Mm. But as I've grown older, I see what reality is really like and how dark the outside world can really be at times. So I do wonder if we humans are fully capable of handling it all. And unlike Hugo, I don't think that I purposefully dumb things down to understand them. On the contrary, I try to see the essence, the reality and truth in situations. I even go farther and try to understand the reasons behind what happens. If I can, of course, but like, like you said, with the pandemic, like how, what's the reason behind that? We will, will we ever know? And if we further take a deep dive into accidents or illnesses, there often, there often isn't a reason as to why we have to gather up our strength where we thought we didn't have any and power through the unthinkable. Because that's the only choice I feel like that's I. That's the have only in, choice in that the keeps matter. you going. Yeah. So any resources or any beliefs that you have, like reincarnation or whatever, that will help you cope through it. Good for you. Yeah. So I yeah I agree. Whatever with you. works. Whatever works, whatever can be as an aid. Right. But now I feel like a dick after answering the way I did because. Oh my god! Don't feel like a no, dick. No, 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 no. Because Why? I guess I I was thinking of it from such an individual point of view as opposed to. I mean, you're right. Like, how can you justify all those people dying from COVID or like the Holocaust? You know what I mean? Like, how can you? Right. Right, exactly. On, Horrific deaths. Even on a yeah. bigger scale, right. Like, I think I was, I, I realize now in my answer that I was really thinking about such a smaller scale, but I know this is really making me think because it's really making me question. I've always said everything happens for a reason, but I think I'm, I'm starting to like, I'm starting to question that. When I guess I think about that too in the sense of, in talking to Ricardo about losing his dad, you know, he, that yeah. you'll never take away that grief and that loss, but it has taught him to appreciate the relationships that he has now in a way that he mm. couldn't have before. So again, it's like, I can't justify his dad's loss for him learning that now, mm-hmm. but he did take away a huge lesson out of that that he will now carry with him forever that maybe he wouldn't have if he hadn't had that so it's hard and again like i'm so not saying like i'm not saying that 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 should have happened for him to learn that obviously i would rather his dad be here right but i'm that's why i think what i mean about the resilience or the light coming out of the other side like i think it does lead i think often it does lead to something, even if it takes a long time for that something to present itself to you, that could be, again, not making what happened right or fair, but saying this came out of that and I will learn from that. Yeah, there's a lesson that you can take from anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there can be a positive outcome from bad. I guess I'm just realizing how much I'm clinging to always needing a positive. Like I will find anything negative and turn it into a positive, even if that may not be but, like a healthy thing. No, but it's your way to cope with anything and that's negative the thing. happening. It's a way to cope. Yeah. I could totally relate. Yeah, Emma. Like it's not, you're not the same. only one thinking this way. I, I, I mean, I do it to my, for myself all the yeah. time. I don't, I, yeah. And I don't think there's anything, I don't really think there's anything wrong with that. What gets you through well, like the analogy that this book keeps on, it keeps on referring to chess yeah. is like life. Yeah. And there's no right way to play it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And that yeah. also, I know we touched on chess in another episode, but this week for it to get even a little more specific about looking at the players that you have on the board and yeah. how she would be like, oh, I lost all my quote unquote good players all I have is pawns like what's the point of playing but it's like there are no insignificant there are no small act roles only small you know like (laughs) we say what we need to to be like yeah so yeah I I liked that specificity like going a little deeper into that this week but wait ladies what wait what welcome to deep dive oh shit (laughs) you've been 
Oh, <laughs> oh, 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 we're on fire. <laughs> Welcome to Deep Dive, where we make a recommendation for a deeper look into an aspect of the book we're reading. Woo, woo. For today's Deep Dive, we got a suggestion from one of our readers, Avika. Oh, Avika. Oh, hey, girl. She recommended hey. an episode on the podcast called The Hidden Brain, produced by NPR, called Rewinding and Rewriting from January 2019. Okay. It discusses how we all think back to turning points in our lives and imagine how things could have played out differently, also known as counterfactuals. Oh. By especially in this episode, recounting one woman's harrowing story of a choice she made that resulted in a very grim outcome. And we get to, of course, experience Nora doing just this throughout the entirety of the book, creating counterfactuals for lots of major decisions she made throughout her lifetime. We have listened to the episode. It's a beautiful, quick, enlightening 31-minute episode. So thank you, Avika, for the recommendation. Thanks, Avika. We'll put a link in the show notes for you, so go check out our deep dive. Yeah. Please do. Ladies, something we have not yet talked about Uh is Schrodinger's cat. We've just been (laughs) sipping on it. We've been sipping on that cat, but we haven't talked about the cat. No, we haven't. I did say last week that I liked furry cocktails. I was just going to (laughs) say, here you go. And literally, we've got peach fuzz. Hey, and peaches are furry, too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I had wondered in the beginning of this book whether Nora's cat Voltaire could be a nod to Schrodinger's cat. Oh, yeah. But I found myself confused when Mrs. Elm replies that the cat is always dead, since, of course, we know in the thought experiment, the cat is both dead and alive. But when I was talking this through with Jason, who loves to nerd out on this kind of thing, Mm -hmm. he explained (laughs) to me, because Emma, similar to you, I tried to do a deep dive into like quantum mechanics and then I was very quickly like, I'd rather die. Um, oh no! But I talked. I was oh, yeah. oh, I had a midnight library uh, right. of my own. Uh, Mrs. Elm brought happening. me back. Um, but when I was talking it through with him. Um, He explained to me that Schrodinger's cat is often used to open our minds to possibilities beyond what we immediately perceive Mm. as people. Mm. And in that sense, the notion Mrs. Elm is trying to disabuse Nora of is that she was a bad cat owner and that Volts died because of her. Mm. So through this experiment, Nora realizes, to quote the book, now she thought about it, there hadn't been any external signs of damage on her cat's body. She had just jumped to the same conclusion that Ash had jumped to, that a dead cat on the road was probably dead because of the road. And if a surgeon could think that, a mere layperson would think that too. Two plus two equals car accident. And I was like, Mm -hmm. oh shit, like how many times in our actual lives do we assume things like that? And we're totally wrong. It's just an assumption, but it's what your brain jumps to and you just assume that it's true. All the time. So it did get me wondering, my little drinky here got me wondering, what other assumptions has Nora made both in her life and in the Midnight Library that aren't even real? Mm. So that's what I took from the Schrodinger's cat mention. Did you ladies have... Schrodinger's cat things? <sighs> things. I don't know. <laughs> Did you have Schrodinger's cat meows? <laughs> well, right now, after hearing what you just said and after our, our past conversation, it does make me think that we trick ourselves into believing things that are not really real. The same as assumptions. Which is what Which Hugo, is going back to Hugo mm, said. Yes. <laughs> so I'm like, yep, well, maybe it was right. bullshit. Yep. That's, yeah. <laughs> Because we do that to either cope or just face what we're dealt with at the time. I think he's also right, though. Like, our brains are just so programmed to protect us, and they're so programmed yeah. for survival mm-hmm. that they just they yep. just jump to the easiest thing, mm-hmm. the thing that makes most yep. sense to them, given our information, whether it's true or the only possibility or right or not. And that's why we're also so powerful, because we can... We can lead ourselves to believe anything. Totally. 
Totally. And we're, we can empower ourselves to do so. Yeah, and just how, we just hold ourselves how back. strong is the power of imagination. Right. Yeah. So exactly. strong. Jason brought this up to me, and I was curious, since it's something we've sort of touched on before. There was this passage in these chapters that I will admit I completely missed, and I'm wondering if you ladies did too. There's this passage. In another life, Nora was a sea of emotion. She felt everything deeply and directly, every joy and every sorrow. A single moment could contain both intense pleasure and intense pain, as if both were dependent on each other like a pendulum in motion. A simple walk outside and she could feel a heavy sadness simply because the sun had slipped behind a cloud. Mm. Yet conversely, meeting a dog who was clearly grateful for her attention (laughs) caused her to feel so exultant that she felt she could melt into the pavement with sheer bliss. Hmm. I hadn't caught this when I read it, but in every single other life, Nora doesn't take on the feelings and emotions of the Nora that she's dropping in on. She usually seems like an observer in the lives that she Mm -hmm. drops into. But in this one, it seems like she experiences really intense emotion, which is completely different from every other life she's had. Did you ladies catch this? Was this intentional? Is this a slip on Matt Haig's part? What is going on here? Because we had specifically talked about the fact that she drops into these lives with no idea of her circumstances whatsoever. But I actually feel like when she gets news about certain circumstances, often when she realizes that someone has died, she does exhibit emotion. Her emotions, not the emotions of the Nora she's dropped in on. Right? Oh, Um. I see what you're saying. Yeah, because that's basically when she kind of waves her flag. It's like, I'm out. When she starts feeling her yeah, own emotions. right. Under the circumstances that I she's see. in. Once she I can't see. handle it, she's like, Yeah, done. she's right. out. That is no, very I didn't true. Think of that. I don't know. I didn't know what to make of it. And like I said, I didn't even catch it. Yeah, I definitely did. Jason came to me and was like, what the hell was this? But I wonder if it's just that because it is an alternate life. And in that alternate life, like she actually feels... The feelings that that Nora feels. Like it's just a one-off. Like specifically, it's that that. It's just the one-off because it's that life. It's all about the emotions mm. in that life. I'm going to have to go back and reread well, that. So anyway, just an interesting That's little so tidbit interesting. to check out. Yeah. I'd be curious for any thoughts that listeners have about it. Yeah. Yeah. We'd love mm. to hear what others think about if this. anybody else that, caught it. You stumped me. Yeah. yeah. Same. Hmm. We're stumped. We're slapped. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're not slapped. Oh, it's not a thing. No. It definitely is a thing. Should we final question it? Let's do it. Yeah. I want to know who would be your Mrs. Elm and what would your Midnight Library be? Keeping in mind that Mrs. Elm is someone who has helped the person at a significant time in their life and the setting is somewhere with emotional significance. At least yeah. that's what we were given in the book, but do whatever you want with that. Final right. question. Yeah. Go. Yeah. I think mine would have to be the black box at my high school. Aww. So I guess my lives would be like the plays. Um, and my Mrs. Elm would be one of my dearest teachers ever, Mr. Stanley. Oh, Mr. Stanley. For some reason, when you first asked this question, I I was afraid of saying this answer. Not afraid, but just like... What is your gut saying? Miss Rivero, who was my third grade academics teacher at Charles R. Halley Elementary. She's actually the one who started it all because she's the one that told my mom that I should audition for a magnet arts program in dance. And so therefore my midnight library would be a stage full of shelves with all different types of point shoes. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. And every time you put on a pair of point shoes, you would like move differently. It was like the- They would be like (laughs) worn in different places from like that Mm -hmm. life. That's crazy. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. My Mrs. Elm is also a teacher. My Meisner teacher, Ernie Loso. And my Midnight Library would be Piazza Fontanese in Reggio Emilia in Ricardo's hometown. Oh. Oh. So I don't really know what my version of books would be. I guess like stones. 
<laughs> Rocks. So what are you going to do? Yeah. Trees. I don't know. Wait, is it a theater? No, it's like a, it's a piazza. It's like a park. So I was trying to keep, you know, in theme with the setting. Yeah, I can't have, you know, yeah. books yeah. flying at me in the piazza. Boing, 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 boing. <laughs> Maybe different road signs, you know, appear. Oh, that's cute. Oh, I like that. But they're all in Italian, and then I'm fucked. Okay, y'all. Thank you so much for listening. If you have an insight or a question you'd like us to discuss on an episode, shoot us an email at arethesebooksdrunk@gmail.com for a chance to be featured on our listener question segment. Listeners, if you haven't already done so, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave us an infinite number of reviews. Why not? Give us the slaps. (laughs) Yeah, we're lacking your input. Lacking your input. Also, a gigantic shout out to our most engaged listeners listener, Avika, for yeah, providing Avika. us with her own deep dive suggestion. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Next week, we are, you guessed it, reading to the end of the book. Uh, I can't Already? wait. I know. Keep your eyes peeled on our Instagram page at Are These Books Drunk to find out next week's cocktail and mocktail pairing so that you can read along and sip along with us. Because it's always happy happy hour hour. here. 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 And I actually finished my drink. Aren't you proud? I finished mine too. I am proud. Yeah, very. All right. Bye, chicas. Bye, ladies. Bye. Bye. Bye.